how can we use architecture to diversify and invite people to the game and make people feel less marginalized or less um, excluded from the sport. Um, and though, and that I had very selfish reasons and not because I felt like I was one of them. And also I, I, I want golf to be around in 50 years. And if it's not socially relevant and if it doesn't, you know, look, reflect the demographics of your city, then it's not going to be. There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. Hey y'all, this is Connor. Welcome back to the couch for another group golf therapy session. If you've been following us for a while, you'll know that Christine Frazier is more than a guest. She's a true friend, she's an advocate, she's an ally, and she's a golf course architect who is changing the game at the literal grassroots level. Christine is remarkably candid with us in this conversation about her battles with chasing perfection, imposter syndrome, and how she is, as with every architect, her product. There's a ton to unpack there and we get into all of it during our session. What I can say is that Christine has so much to be proud of and golf is a much, much better place with her around. As for some forward programming, we have some exciting news to share. Brad, Drew, and myself will be in person for the first time ever in just a few weeks. We'll share more details about that meeting of the minds soon, but we are really thrilled to create some great things together and uh, give each other tons of hugs. All right, that's it. Enjoy the chat, hit them straight, and mind your golf. I can link you to a, to a Stetson plug if you need one. I would love that. Yeah, I know. Always on I, the hunt for some good hats. I think Stetson makes some of the best ones, but only oh, I, I'm yeah. biased because one of my friends is the designers for them. So, And I'm also was... biased because the university I went to is um, Stetson. Oh. Our mascot is the Stetson Hatters. Wow. Because it was literally founded by like Stetson. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you do. Yeah. We need to get you connected to. Yeah. So I was. I would wear club. that proudly. Yeah. So did your did your college golf team have? Did the, was your team had a Stetson? Yeah, we actually didn't wear visors or like ball caps. We just wore Stetsons, leather Stetsons in Florida just, heat. Just uh, <laughs> big, <laughs> big flappy, big flappy hats. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, guys, I think we have a thing for inviting guests on the show who are far better golfers than us it's true <laughs> it, we're we would we would get our asses kicked by every single person that's been on our show in a, really in a, in a way that's beautiful though. yeah oh 100 yeah. i would yeah. i would love it yeah it would be great <laughs> well may, maybe no no shots at ben maybe we could take ben but everyone else they're whooping us they're whooping that's us. it yeah okay but that's, that's why there's the handicap system we can all play and it can be a good match that's right and True. we do have plans to link up. I mean, as soon as yes, as soon do. as that border opens up, we're we're there. Yeah, come up. I mean, Christine's the, the to, for me the closest person that we've that we've chatted with. Everyone else, yeah, we're been, not know, that far, far away. No, not far at all. I mm-hmm. one of my buddies lives in Toronto, and I'm always like, hey, you know, we're gonna meet in Michigan and play some golf. So Michigan has some yeah. incredible golf courses. Lots of good golf. Yeah. Lots of good golf. Yeah, mm-hmm. we gotta get up there. 
Connor, mm-hmm. we gotta we gotta make it happen, man. Actually, you guys, uh, you you should extend your trip when you're in the great state of Wisconsin. We should. Yeah. Man, that's an idea. Yeah. When you I guys smell, come okay. up, I smell when you come coming. up, and then we and then we road trip. So the hand, Wisconsin, over to to Michigan. Okay. There it is. So and, this then is we, a, and we meet up with Christine. Of course. We'll, we'll make sure we post date this episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for That's right. for when that that becomes official. Yeah. But Christine, um, between the four of us, <laughs> we have we have plans to come up that way. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. That's right. Big golf road trip. Exactly. That's no better golf than in the state of Wisconsin. Apparently, Christine, how how is your golf game at the moment? How are you mm. playing? Actually, you know what? I've been struggling a little bit. Um, so well, that's reasonable. Part of, Golf's been shut down in Canada for a while. That's time. part of like the Forever. therapy session that I need to some advice on. Of like, I'm in this place of still being very competitive about how I perform, and not being able to like dissociate the experience of playing golf with my score. And so I have these like really wonderful experiences where we've been planning this for weeks and we got a great foursome together and it's like sunny and beautiful and the golf is wonderful and i and i'm playing poorly and it just like ruins my day mm-hmm. so i, I have I, some advice i have some advice okay, about go. that please um I, I would say first of all start small um put yourself in environments where scoring is not the is not the end goal playing well is not the the most important thing i.e Go out for a twilight nine with three clubs in your hand or, you know, play 18 holes without a range binder. Give yourself excuses built in so that you, if you don't play well, you'd be like, all right, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Cause I didn't have all my clubs. I didn't have my range finder. I was, you know, I was drinking, whatever. Um, and then <laughs> hopefully that, that, um, that mindset will metastasize and, and sort of trickle into your, your full regulation 18 hole matches. Yeah. And I always go into the round with the mindset of the score is the last thing that I'm going to be worried about. And then the third hole, I get a double bogey. I'm like, well, <laughs> here I am again. I have okay. um, a follow-up piece of advice. Play golf with folks of our ilk. That way, um, there's no comparison. There's literally no reason why we should be counting strokes against you. No, so. no, but it's not even that. It's it's <laughs> like it doesn't matter who I play with. It's me against me against the golf course, yeah, and so it it's totally a personal personal battle. Mm. So it's it's it got to work on my mental game. Well, that I don't have any advice for. I feel like that's yeah. kind of a. Uh... That's it. That's it a personal. Thing. I'm like yeah. pulling all my old golf books out, like Zen golf, like. <laughs> I got a copy by the bedside. One one thing for me, like that's helped my mental game, and even like my mental game is subs- uh, substantially better than when I was playing in college. It's, you know, I was pushing for score. You know, every time I went out, or um, even you know, like I need to birdie this hole, I need to par this hole, I need to get up and down here, and and. I've kind of changed my mindset now to where I'm like, I just want to make solid contact. I want to, you know, I want to flush it and I want to, you know, I don't care where it goes. I just want to make good contact. And somehow it seems to, you know, put my mind at ease instead of like, all right, you know, I, I, I double the hole. I need to, you know, birdie the next one to, to get back. Um, and it's just like, I just need to make a good shot here every single time and forget about the last one. 
And for me, that's really helped over the past like year and a half where instead of really pushing for a specific score or, uh, you know, something that that's can really like screw up your mindset. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of worked for me, but yeah, you know, obviously everyone's different and how they approach the the mental side. That's, you know, what separates the best from everyone else. (laughs) Christine, how does playing bad manifest for you? Do you, you don't strike me as a club thrower, but do you slam (laughs) things or do you go internal and dark and um okay well my like college teammates would probably say differently but I'm like very internal I will internalize and I will like um take it out on myself and just like crack another beer and forget about it but in my younger days I had I had a bit of um an attitude you could say and the aggression manifested in much more physical ways than it does now which is for the best but have you ever broken a golf club oh totally totally uh intentionally because accidents happen no like i cannot say that was an accident no okay but like not in a very long time it's been like 15 years i'm 15 years on the wagon it's been like 10 (laughs) weeks since my last club break (laughs) 15 days so uh we we kind of alluded to this earlier you're uh you are an, an accomplished golfer and your competitive nature has led to some things, uh, mm-hmm. as evidenced by your last statement about you know being 15 years off the wagon. But so, do you think your competitiveness, your competitive nature, got you to a position where you were playing Division One college golf? Yeah, 100. percent Without that competitive edge, I just I wouldn't have been good enough that's what pushed me to next level. That's what made me go to practice every single day, six days a week, full year, four years. So yeah, definitely. And that's not true for everyone, but for me, it was like a huge motivator of, um, and again, it's like not against other players or other teammates. It was like a personal, personal battle, personal Mm -hmm. challenge. And where does that come from? Do you think, can you recognize that in your parents or grandparents, or is it just like a, I'm born with this kind of, I think it's like came from sibling rival rivalry of the most epic proportions. Like my brother and I were a couple of years of everything together and played sports together and played basketball in the backyard and hockey and soccer and golf. And it was just a totally um, motivating, powerful experience of this interaction connection through competitiveness with my brother. Mm-hmm. Well, you had a good arena for it. I mean, you, did grow up on a golf course that yes. your family owned. So um, yes. can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, my grandparents bought a, a farm field back in the 70s on a whim, had never really um, had much to do with the golf industry or golf itself and decided to build a golf course. So my grandparents and their three children, my mother being one of them, spent five years literally building a golf course from the ground, picking stones, raking, planting, propagating, all of, all of it. So that's still in the family today. And, and when my brother and I were growing up, my mom would be working, you know, the all summer long in the pro shop. Um, And so we would get up at 6am, go to her morning start shifts for the first golfers on the tee 
be there in time to let them in, check them in. And uh, we didn't see my mom until it was time to go home in the afternoon. So my brother and I were really just kind of let free and loose in the golf course to, to you know, spend the day as we saw fit. Um, so that involved a lot of, I mean, not necessarily golf, but a lot of being around golf. And that's how I really fell in love with it and became comfortable around it. And it was a really safe space for me. That's incredible. I imagine there was a lot of, you, you said create, it was a safe space for you. Was there a lot? Of, yeah. It sounds like a lot of play and a lot of like, you know, fort building and, you know, <laughs> fairy gardens and things like that. Is that, is yes. that accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. The members would come in and um, after nine and say to my mom, you know, I saw Christine and Bradley in the pond on seven or I saw them looking for golf balls in the woods on 18 just kind of check in with my mom throughout the day so it was really kind of loose and free and um really allowed me to kind of grow into myself I love that so was was golf it then from the beginning like it it sounds like there were other sports involved but what was it that connected you to golf other than the, the family business golf was was really never it for me I um I had signed to uh, play hawk play ice hockey for the university in my hometown um oh wow uh and then at the at, like in August until the very last second I was like actually you know what I want as a, I was 17 it was it, like it was crazy I was like, you know what I want to move to a new country play a different sport um so I'm gonna do that so it was really la like last minute spur of the moment I've been playing competitive hockey got quite good at it and just decided that I had sort of done it and I wanted a bit more of a challenge and a new experience and that's where that's what golf did for me and it's really been doing that ever since you know I made that decision golf has been providing me with those types of really exciting opportunities ever since mm -hmm. wow <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that sounds like uh that kind of like on a whim. You know what? I just wanna that's so a 17-year-old decision to make. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like you have any regrets. No, no, not at all. It was definitely a little bit hard at first. It was a long way away from my family, and I had never obviously lived anywhere else but home. Um, but you know, just totally dictated the rest of my life from that moment it was just such a pivoting point and golf that at that point golf became it mm. golf is the the eternal challenge right it's you can always get better there's no such thing as perfect in golf even if you shoot 18 hole, if you shoot 18 on an 18 hole course course that there's no such thing as a perfect golf round are you somebody who embraces challenges generally do you seek challenging things out in your personal life or professional life? Yeah. Um, yes. And I think that's why I was drawn to the career that I, that I've landed myself in is because as you said, it's this constant pursuit of not perfection, but the progress towards per perfection. It's this artistic endeavor that never has a right answer. It's so subjective and it's all evolving and changing and there's never two experiences that are the same and I think that's what really really excites me and keeps me motivated and, and engaged that's really cool can Christian. you sorry go ahead Drew oh I was gonna I, say 
I was gonna say, Christine, uh, for the for the folks at home, our friends who have not tuned into the first episode of Group Golf Therapy, could you just give us a little recap of of what it is that you do for for a living? My name is Christine Fraser, and I'm a golf course architect. Boom! <laughs> Boom! Yeah, <laughs> ultimate party trick. Mike Brown. You are the most it interesting so, person at a party. It is such a party trick. Um, yeah, people are always are asking. They have a, a lot of curious questions about it. So, what's the first question that you get at a at a party if you say I'm a golf course architect? Well, it's generally the statement of like, "Oh my god, I never really thought about that job as a career, but I guess someone has to do it." Right, somebody has. <laughs> True. Yeah, and then it's how did you get into that? Um, yeah, we won't bore you with the party questions, <laughs> but um, you said that you know golf and your career are kind of this parallel path, this chase, this journey toward perfection. Um, professionally speaking. What does perfection look like to you? Oh, it's something that allows me to travel and meet new people, have new experiences and pay the bills and be able to say no to projects and be able to um, be myself and be accepted within this establishment as who I am and what I'm bringing to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a great, that is a great answer. Uh, I'm not uh, sure we're there yet, there. but yeah. There's a what, lot to impact in that, in that answer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I would, if I were in a career and I, I very much consider what I'm doing my career, um, that allowed me those things, I would feel like it were damn near perfect too. Mm. Like if I were, if I were in a, an environment, I felt safe. I felt um, free enough to create the things that I want to create and have it be accepted and uplifted. Like that is, that's the ultimate validation. Yeah. Speaking you know, professionally anyway. Um, those things also sound personally gratifying, mm. like being able to travel, being able to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How have you been able to kind of pinch yourself and say, I'm literally doing like what I'm doing for work is checking all the boxes for me. Mm -hmm. What can Christine do for Christine? Like that's how do you treat yourself? Um, well, I'm not, well, let's say we are checking all the boxes. How do I treat myself? I think it's, um, I think perhaps it's an opportunity to bring someone else along for the ride and share that experience and really be able to convey why I am passionate about this and why I love it and why it's so fulfilling for me. Um, and just share that. I think it's just sharing experiences. I, I think it should be clearly mentioned. You are a different type of golf course architect. I hope so. Exactly. And, and you are, you know, I think we, we've spoken a lot, Christine, obviously one-on-one -on -one and, and in 
part of a live setting as well. And um, <laughs> well, inside joke that does not need any explanation. But um, you know, I, I think you you take a, a, a really different, challenging approach to golf course architecture, which is challenging the status quo of the way that courses are built, why they're built the way that they are. You have a, a section on your website called social impact offerings. And we've obviously talked about this, but <clears throat> design for women and girls, disability, accessibility, and adaptive consideration. Designed to encourage long-term participation of more senior players. Recruitment and retention of new and next generation golfers. Environmental impact assessment water management design and drought tolerant plantings and species. I'm not just reading you your own website so you remember <laughs> what it says. The point is, if you look at any other website of any other golf course architect, and we can name them if we want to, you're not gonna see language like that on those websites. Where does that challenge or inspiration for you to hit those areas come from? And can you speak a little bit to like, what you're doing in those areas. Yeah, um, I moved back to Canada a few years ago. I had been in the UK for five years working under a, a fairly well-known, very established golf course architect over there. And I moved back to Canada a little bit terrified of what that was going to look like and how I could find a place within golf architecture to differentiate myself and also to feel like I was doing you know work that I could be proud of mm. um and you know I I am in some cases especially over in the UK I I felt as though I was sort of a marginalized golfer because I was a woman um and I just didn't really feel like that was addressed or spoken of or 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 trying or had been dissected to understand why that was from through the lens of, of architecture specifically. Mm. Um, and so I, I really kind of settled in this place of, hey, if I, if I feel this way, I'm sure, I'm sure other people do too. Um, and that kind of evolved and grew and expanded into this, I mean, sort of general concept of how can we use architecture to diversify and invite people to the game and make people feel less marginalized or less um, excluded from the sport. Um, and, though, and that I had very selfish reasons and not because I felt like I was one of them. And also I, I, I want golf to be around in 50 years. And if it's not socially relevant and if it doesn't, you know, look reflect the demographics of your city, then it's not going to be. Um, and so that was kind of why I decided to create this space in architecture and I'm still exploring that and it's, it's a journey. <laughs> a, a noble one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we applaud you. We're big fans. Thanks, that's nice. I'm glad. Like genuinely, like. I really want people like you three in my corner, so that's really nice to hear. Done, done, and done. <laughs> well, we're <laughs> in there. Yeah, we're we're giving you water in between rounds, and 
you know, <laughs> pumping up your tires. That's great. <laughs> uh, Connor mentioned the uh, kind of the the grassroots, for lack of a better term. Oh my god! <laughs> what a transition! <laughs> that was not planned, but we're gonna continue as if it was. Um, the the kind of grassroots responsibility that you take up with the language on your site from the types of plants you choose in your designs or um, tea box structure uh, design with keeping and retaining elderly folks in the game. Well, maybe that's a, a separate question, uh, but the, the literal grassroots part, like the agricultural aspect of the game is super fascinating to me because I don't know much and I see grass as grass. I know some like Kentucky blue versus like <laughs> maybe one That's other cool. one. Right. Yeah. Like, like how, how important is your uh, agricultural choice to your project? Yeah, it's really important. And um, that part of the job really comes in collaboration with the superintendent. It's definitely a partnership throughout the whole process. Uh, mm -hmm. They're the ones that generally guide the scientific aspect of it. Um, but, you know, you still have to design something that they're going to be able to maintain financially, um, as well as like the technique and the grilling. Uh, environmentally speaking so it's it's quite complex um, and and then there's another layer to that that you you kind of spoke to about tea boxes and how we can use these already established like all of these things that I'm doing are are not new architectural designs or philosophies they're old they're old school they've been around for hundreds of years it's just using them in a different way with a different perspective with a different intent to hopefully have a different outcome. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's like, you, you know, how, how far does the fairway start from the forward T, you know, it, the rough is, is generally a really difficult um, challenge for people with slower swing speeds. So that can be anybody that can be seniors, juniors, women, people who maybe have thrown their back out or injured or, you know, whatever the case may be if your swing speed is a little lower the rough is extremely difficult to get out of and it's generally like a shot lost it's a penalty um so there's ways to like manipulate the rough to make it just as equally challenging for the better players but make it a little bit more enjoyable and equitable from for the weaker players um it's small it's small stuff it's stuff that doesn't cost a lot of money it's just things that you do have to think about and where has that mindset gone wrong historically? Why why hasn't that been a consideration up until you? Um, uh, because okay, can I? I'll give you um, just a small anecdotal story. There's a, a people I've kind of become this outlet for you know women's problems in golf and I get these great emails all the time of like this is what's happening at my club can you help what do I do what do you think and so a, a woman reached out to me she's been a member of this club for 59 years 
Um, and, and they're making big changes to the club because of um, budget. Let's just say it's for budget purposes. So what they're doing is they're reducing the size of the fairways. They're bringing the rough in. They're reducing the size of the entrances to the green. They're keeping bunkers that are very close to the fairway so that everything is kind of being condensed. Mm. Um, and that's being done for budgetary purposes because if fairways cost more to maintain than rough marginally, but yes. Um, and so the impact of that is the, the maintenance budget goes a little bit farther away, but also the people who's, who have difficulty getting the ball in the air consistently or have a slower swing speed are like extremely negatively impacted by narrowing of fairways in specific places. They're pushing the fairways farther away from the tees, so the ball is getting caught up in the rough before it even gets to the fairway. Um, if you think about um, scalloping the fairway, uh, rather than having sort of a, a more straight fairway, the ball that doesn't get in the air is just going to keep getting caught in the rough the whole way to the hole. Um, and so she took her her queries to the superintendent and asked the intention and told him how, how these changes were impacting her. And his response was basically um, like a full on gaslighting of her saying she's getting older and she's, you know, not the player she used to be. So she should expect her scores to be you know, going up rather than going down. And, and so I, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but those experience are experiences are happening and I hear about them and you know traditionally she's maybe not someone who had such a powerful voice at her club and clearly was sort of dismissed by the people who do so it's a it's an uphill battle for a lot for a lot of these types of marginalized golfers who happen to be women and juniors and girls and mm -hmm. yeah. crazy I, I think that that story is illustrative of the larger issue, which is the people who are in decision-making roles in, in golf at every level, whether it's a, a superintendent or a greenskeeper or a pro shop manager are largely white men, right? And, and yeah. you're going to make largely decisions based on the way that you want to see them be made. And totally. Um, it just fucking sucks. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, look at the like, look at any golf club. Look at mm -hmm. who's on their green committee. Look at who's on their um, board of directors. Look at who the, the, you know, anyone who's in these decision making positions. Like, guarantee uh, they, they all look the same. You know, they've they've got their loafers and their fedoras and they're just chilling they don't need to be asking questions or changing things because it's good the way it is they also don't need to be wearing fedoras no one should be wearing a fedora ever again no burn them all let's do away with the fedora once and mm. for all now you know the guy right oh we we know exactly who this person is we do <laughs> Um, so you, when speaking about perfection a few moments ago, um, 
you talked about bringing others along with you and having them join the experience with you. Um, that leads me to believe there's intention behind that. Like Christine Fraser's golf architect school for girls <laughs> or whatever version of that, you know, it could be a, an Instagram group or a ebook mentorship yeah. program. I'm just spitballing. Um, but to know that you get those emails and those questions, like help solve golf for women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, does that ever get heavy? Yeah, totally. It's overwhelming all the time, all the time. It's a lot. It feels like a big responsibility. And I, and, and I feel like, I mean, I have, I feel like I have to do it. I want to do it. It just, it does become a lot sometimes. Have you seen any people that have, you know, that are trying to take up the mantle and, and, uh, you know, follow in your footsteps? Um, you know, obviously you haven't been, uh, designing for, you know, 25 years. Uh, but you know, have you seen some people in your wake that have been, or people that have reached out saying, you know, this is something that I'm interested or passionate about what steps should I be taking? Um, or, or, or I guess I should say, what, what advice would you have for someone that would be looking to try and, uh, you know, help move the needle for um, things like this? It's a really hard question um, because there's no one way to become a golf course architect. It's essentially like, are you in the right place at the right time? And who do you know? That's all it is. There's no, there's no university program. There's no um, apprenticeship program. There's, you know, there's really no structured way to become an architect. And so it's really difficult to, to break into this field. And the advice I would have is, is, I don't know, like, call me. I don't know what I can do, but let's talk <laughs> about it. Mm -hmm. Love it. I I feel like, I mean, there's a lane there. Uh, I, I, mean, I say it half jokingly, uh, you know, Christine Fraser's architect school for girls, but. Hey, um, catchy. somebody's got to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but in those times when you are overwhelmed with these emails and you're like, what? I am one human being. I can't. <laughs> What's your, uh, how do you release the pressure? How do you, what's the, the valve release for you? I'm pretty good at, at compartmentalizing um, work and home life. I work from home. I don't, I make my own hours. Um, but when I do turn the computer and the phone off, it's, it's pretty easy to do that. And I just find that I'm doing it less and less. And so when I do get in those rhythms and habits, I have to check myself a little bit, but it is just like a complete, um, like turning off of devices and allowing myself a week to reply for longer. It's, it's giving, it's extending these, you know, arbitrary deadlines that I put on myself of, if, you know, I, I owe this person a response in a timely manner. Well, maybe that's not always the case. 
just allowing myself a little bit of time and space. Christine, as a as not only an accomplished golfer, but also working in the industry of golf, what for like for, for all three of us and a lot of people that probably listen to the show, golf is like their their getaway from work or from you know the stresses of life even though it might compound and add more stress to your life once you're on the course. <laughs> um, what, where, or what is your, your happy place out, outside of golf since it is a, a work and hobby and, you know, career? Yeah. Golf's a lot. I think about golf every day. I, I engage with golf every day. Um, and my partner is like a newfound golf lover and wants to go to the driving range every day. Let's go. So, <laughs> Love so it. it is, a, it is a really big active part of my life. And, and my, my dream day is like going across to Detroit, hitting up the, the art Institute, having a glass of wine, bringing a book, spending all day with some music in my ears, walking around the art gallery and, mm -hmm. and not thinking about golf. Do you, what do you, do you get inspiration? In what's in the headphones? Oh, go, go. What's in the headphones? So that's like a passive listening experience. So it would be like um, Bonobo or Odessa or Robert Glasper or Orchestra of Dialogue, something like that. Brad's writing his names down. Do you, do you find um, art to be inspiring for design, for golf course design? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, it's my artistic pursuit. It's completely subjective. This is my craft and there's a lot of parallels and, and you know, it's just a different medium of art. Mm -hmm. Hey y'all, this is Brad. And Connor. Andrew. We wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening. It truly means a lot to us and we want you to know that you're loved and you're welcomed here. And if you ever need a listening ear, to vent, or just to talk to somebody who cares. We want to remind you that group golf therapy is a safe space. Our DMs are always open at group golf therapy on Instagram. Hit them straight and mind your golf. Do you have any, I think I might've asked you this before, but I'm, I'm forgetting and I'm curious. Do you have any, um, any Easter eggs in your design? Any calling cards that you like to pepper into projects that you're working on? That's like that's a Christine Fraser element. Um, no, no, not at all. No, it's after always this conversation, will you? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't like I, but the, but the, I mean, I don't think I want that. I don't want someone to be like, oh, Christine Fraser definitely did that. Like, mm. I want it to be a bit mysterious. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I've, I've heard you talk about um, about Martin, who you worked with, Martin Hawtrey, and you know describing a system of bunkering that you on a course that you were playing of his, and you're saying, "Oh, that's so Martin. That's that that, yeah. that bunkering has gotten Martin written all over it." Yeah. It is there. What I guess. What is the? Why do you want that detachment from? From the, the recognition, I guess. Why do, why do you not want that recognition in your design? I, that's a really great question. And we are at therapy, so let's unpack that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't know. And that's true because Martin Hawtrey's designs are so recognizable to me because they have this 
specific flair or characteristic or aesthetic. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but because he's actually, it's not a bad thing because he's excellent. He is exceptional. Mm. And, and so I, I don't know if I have something so exceptional that I would want to replicate over and over again, and it'd be still exceptional at the end of the day. Mm. But maybe ask me in 20 years, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds to me like you are hard on yourself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectionist. Where? Have you heard that word? Perfectionist? Um, no, I don't think I'm a perfectionist. I, I know that I'm like never achieving perfection and that's not necessarily the goal. It's like perhaps toward that, mm -hmm. but no, I don't think I'm a perfectionist. I, well, I think I there's hear. a difference between the pursuit of perfection mm -hmm. and being a perfectionist. I think as an artist, we are in that space constantly. Totally, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a wild yeah. place to live. Yeah, it's and and there's like no world which you reach that, you know, finished product. Right. And stand back and look at it and say like, it's perfect. To quote Christian, I was gonna say I, it. It sounded like it, you know I hear a lot of humility in that, where in golf course design obviously the the famous designers uh you know i feel like there's a lot of ego in what they do and they want to put their stamp on it you know because they're the name that's behind the course and the design and and the reason why they're probably making millions of dollars to do that so for you to say that you don't want there to be like a, a that that kind of stamp uh on your courses i think that's like I said, it shows a lot of humility and, and um, yeah, that's, that's super cool to hear because it seems like in that industry that everyone's looking to make their mark somehow um, on, on each course that they, that they touch. Yeah. And I struggle with that a lot because as um, a golf course architect, generally your name is the brand. You are the brand. Mm -hmm. You are, you're worth $2 million to put your name on a golf course that you may or may not have designed. It's a pretty, it's a pretty daunting role. And I don't know if I like that or or want that per se. It seems um, seems like a lot. How do you square that quandary, that dilemma? Um, bluntly, I guess, like with the fact that your your business is called Christine Fraser Design. Yeah, yeah. It took me. A, it took me a while to be okay with that and to have my email be director at Christine Fraser design. You know, it's a statement. Um, it's a big, it's, it's a big role. You are the brand, you are the work, you are the art, you are the product. So um, I, I grapple with that a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, taking it in small, small doses and small amounts, small projects at a time. If you think, if I think bigger about it, it becomes a little bit overwhelming. When you paused kind of briefly to, to say, well, we are in therapy. Let's unpack that. <laughs> uh, can we? Mm -hmm. The reason, well, the, I, I believe the topic at hand was why you don't want your name on the on the design 
where you um, actually had this conversation with a friend this morning. Um, he and I are folks who feel guilty for taking a vacation. Like, what what have I accomplished or done or saved or done deserving of a a, a vacation? Um, I don't I don't totally know what that thing is. For in my personal experience, it I think a lot of it has to do what uh, with not taking them as a family when I was a kid. So just I it is bizarre to me for someone to do that every single year like wait y'all just you get to do vacation um but as a result i don't feel deserving hmm. um does that does any of that resonate with you yes and i think there's two kind of sides to this discussion the one side is i don't want myself to have a signature kind of design because I want it to be varying and I want it to be different and I want it to progress and get better over time and not always be the same but the other side of that of like not having my name be the only draw to the golf course or the only reason why it's good I think I just don't uh, yeah I maybe it's something to do with how how deserving I believe I am or what kind of you know, imposter syndrome that I deal with on a daily basis. Uh, something in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Connor, should we read off the the list of incredible things that she is already doing to uh, <laughs> to help assuage those feelings? <laughs> Dude, it's. It, it, the list is too long. I mean, like, it's 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 wild to me that you know earlier on, Christine, you said you you noted how difficult it is to break into this kind of field, right? Like, I think you know between the four of us, we could probably name I don't know twenty twenty five architects, most of them dead, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you're doing it, you know, you're doing the work and you're in the field and you, you know, you've touched some incredible projects and we can list those names if we want to, but you know that, you know, those names already. Yeah. I don't need to read your website back at you again, but <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I think you're doing the work you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my where my comfort level is is just like doing the work and anything mm -hmm. above that is is not really where I want to focus my energy right now. And mm -hmm. it, I, I already struggle with um, giving so much of myself to this very established um, game that you know has not always been, reciprocating of those loving feelings to me mm -hmm. and so if i can just you know fall then that's where i feel mm -hmm. i guess the most comfortable and safe do you ever wish that your legacy as a golf course architect could just be building a really fucking great golf course 
yeah, I mean, if someone wants to give me 150 acres on the coast of Scotland and <laughs> a couple million bucks to build it, let's go. <laughs> Where would your dream site be? I think it would be some kind of lynx land. I don't, I don't care where just like really sandy soil fescues wind rain hard hard ground and grass somewhere where you can enjoy the the ground game a little bit more Hmm. strategy over power Hmm. you come to wisconsin we got a lot of uh, a lot of lynx style courses in the states um must have some sandy ground i don't know Sand Valley. I know, I know nothing right. about. I know nothing about that. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, what's Sand Valley talking about? Right. Exactly. You know. <laughs> Some of that had yeah, to have exactly. been there originally. <laughs> so, what do you, Christine? What do you think it takes to get there to accomplish that? If that is one of the north stars, if that's one of the goals, building a really great golf course, mm-hmm. where where do you think you will have to go? Who do you think you will have to? prove it to capital I it. Yeah, um, I'm working uh, with another golf architect based out of Toronto, and he's really, really fantastic and has brought me on and helped me and given me work and taught me a lot um, and really welcomed me into this golf architecture world in Canada. Uh, So I think that that partnership has really progressed into a into a, a really beautiful thing and he has access to a lot of these people that I don't have access to um, because he's been in the industry for 25 years and is very very good at what he does and 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 I think until I have either the confidence of myself or someone else to give me the leading design role on a pretty significant project then then you know it's going to be a collaboration and a partnership until then Mm -hmm. so it sounds like building blocks is kind of the modus operandi for small building blocks. Yes. Shifting gears a little bit, I suppose, um, talking about the industry more broadly, if we could, if we could at Doke or Hans or mm. Corn Crenshaw or McClay kid, what would you tell them about, I guess, what would you ask of them to do more of in the industry? Um, I mean, they're all, they're all fantastic. They're all excellent architects. They all are established for very good reason and they do really good work, but perhaps what they're missing is just being forced to look at a different perspective and being forced to ask questions that don't apply to them um and and just consider how other people experience the designs that they that they make i think that's interesting because you know obviously golf is such a a commercial industry and it's you build a golf course to make money and even though it is there is like an artistic nature of it there you know the the for the most part, I'm guessing the the people that, that own the, the venture capitalists or the, the groups that own the investment groups that own these courses are looking to turn a profit and be as broadly appealing as possible. 
what do you think it would take in the industry or like to, to kind of make those changes is, is it the demand of people uh, obviously the the whole like grow the game marketing terminology is, is out there which is you know i think more so talking about access to the game than necessarily changing the the course layouts and and the uh equitability and accessibility to for for all different types of people to play um like where where would you see that that going to to see change happen from the architect side i think it's possibly twofold of and connor we've talked about this of as a consumer just being a little bit more proactive and aware of how and where you're spending your money Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and doing a bit of research beforehand um and then secondly i think it's 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 extending an invitation to more people like us um to the games to kind of to kind of build up this wave and this voice that we are we are experiencing and trying to make louder um so to the point where it's 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 you know it's unmissable it's going to be important and, and a necessity of of holding architects to a higher account going forward you bring up a good point drew about you know golf courses are built to make money they're also built to last and i think my question christine would be at our current trajectory is golf is golf going to last in 50 years there there's there is no guarantee of that and i think we are doing the work to ensure that happens but um you know maybe is the answer that's heavy that's heavy. fucking terrifying <laughs> right <laughs> why why not why not yes why not definitely yes well who cares about golf why did why should we care i don't know we it, care yeah we We're do young. care we care we, we care but you know what's what's Gen Z is fucking terrifying. Do they care? You know, we're, we've got 50 more years on this planet. What's after that? Do the next generation care? And why do they care? Is it environmentally friendly enough and sustainable enough that we can actually afford to have this many golf courses on the planet? Uh, you know, maybe it looks the best case scenario. Golf is here in 50 years, but it looks very, very, very different. Hmm. it's perhaps not your traditional 18 hole course it's a lot less land usage it's a lot more um uh young people people of color um the the membership the membership schemes are just dismantled and you know public golf is the only golf and it's more accessible and it's more engaging um that's a scenario it's borderline ironic to me that a golf a practicing golf course architect would want there to be fewer golf courses (laughs) right (laughs) and shorter golf courses or shorter but you know just as good right right is that reality you know your your in your inner uh conscience 
I guess we'll call it in this case, like of, of, of understanding the threat to the sport. Um, let me ask that a different way. Is it, is it terrifying to you that you want there to be fewer golf courses or is it encouraging to you because you know that the types of projects will just change? Yeah, that feels optimistic and positive to me. Mm. That's where I think I fit in. Mm -hmm. That's where I think I can have an impact. What's your ace in the hole? Do you have a a nine hole like layout you're sitting on? Like, what do we do? The climate is killing our goal. And then you just whip out the (laughs) sit down because I got a course designed for you. Christine God, drops, I, I, drops a I, new I, golf course like Beyonce drops her new album. Yes. Right? Just like, <laughs> no, warning. no warning. <laughs> Each hole gets a new music it. video. We're working on it. We'll know when we know. Exactly. Yeah. I've signed up for, for uh, push notifications just in case. Yeah, I've got my Google <laughs> alert. <laughs> Christine, if if we are to point to one entity in golf right now as like a gatekeeper for all of this change that we're talking about to actually happen, who would you who would you say that is? Can it be this panel? Hold on, I'm I think we've got that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if not us, then who? Straight up. Straight up. I promise that wasn't a leading question. <laughs> Good job. If Chris. not us, then who? Straight up. I, I wake up with that energy every day. Does I that really not do. make you feel great, Christine? Yeah, it does. It's It, it gives me very much energy and optimism and i'm sitting here in this chair feeling like tomorrow is going to be a really good day so am i seriously you gotta bottle this up and save this for for the down days we'll just (laughs) we'll we'll, uh put this on loop put this on loop this episode i like that (laughs) i but jen like Genuinely, I mean that um, if not us, then who? These conversations are so important. Um, here, putting our voices in front of as many people as possible is important. <laughs> Folks, hearing yeah. from you is important. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you exist is a blessing to so many people, your family primarily. Um, then your partner, then to us <laughs> in your <laughs> panel. <laughs> um, but but because you exist, it gives me hope. I see. I mean that. Um, I have not come across anyone in this game that thinks and talks the way that you do about this game. And has the vision that you have. And you should be proud of that. You should be proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Really. 
That means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're asking some huge courses. questions. Huge questions of people and of inanimate objects. <laughs> which are hard to get answers out of. Yeah, they're not very talkative. Did we, uh, um... we got we got we got some tears. That was you know that's how we <laughs> Nobody <laughs> would have known. <laughs> oh we would have known. Yeah. It it's is a it's metric actually, of success for yeah, us. Yeah, it's the metric. It's uh how many tears can we get via our questions? <laughs> the, vehicle, the vehicles being our questions. <laughs> we did it. That's a five star rated episode right there. There you go. Well well done, Brad. I meant every word. I really did. Thank you. It means a lot. Yeah, Brad, um, Brad really Brad encapsulated how how we all feel 100. <laughs> percent um, I'm going to plug this for you. Um, I had the pleasure of watching Christine play uh, a little municipal course in. Uh, I forget. Was it in Toronto? Was it? Yeah, yeah it, it's in Toronto. Uh, this quaint little municipal <laughs> course just blocks away from a train station in toronto with uh i forget the name of the group you played with also i apologize to those fellas they're called uh, preferred lie preferred lie on youtube um i am a sucker for a course vlog just straight <laughs> up like just give me a camera and some b-roll of drone footage and what and people playing golf like it is akin to like someone having a white noise machine next to their bed while they're asleep like it is just like it just like my yeah. nervous system is happy when i see it like it is just so to see you in action and to see you you know in between holes you know break breaking down what's happening on the course and why this thing is important and Again, for those listening, this golf course was just a few blocks from a train station. So that's important for folks who don't have access to vehicles but still want to play this game. That's yeah, important. Yeah, we took the subway with our clubs. With their that's, clubs. That's, that's sick. Like, that. that is – the optics of that alone, just, like, <laughs> I want to share that far and wide. Like, that is so important. Yeah. And it, it tells me – or it shows me what can be mm-hmm. if golf is going to exist in Dubai or if it's going to exist in Birmingham, Alabama, like mm-hmm. accessibility is huge. And so I, I started all that saying um, let's put a link to that video in this description, because I want everyone to go watch this, uh, this vlog. Yeah, uh, so well, Scott. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and again, just the optics of how accessible this golf course was to public transportation. Um, I just, I haven't seen it, you know, and um, I was, I was really, really happy to watch that. And you played well. I did. Thank you. You did. It's a fucking stick, man. So yeah. Good. <laughs> For real. Crazy. What was your team name again? Mona Lisa's baby. The Mona Lisa's, yeah. <laughs> they had some they had some fun team names going on. They had a little competition going on, but it was a good watch. It when was, we it do, was... I mean, when we do the the link up of all link ups, which is GGTX 
Christine Frazier design, it's it's Christine versus everybody. Like you're right. Like, oh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we're, <laughs> and we're still screwed. We're <laughs> screwed. Right. <laughs> like I, I got I got our collective best ball against your worst ball, and Stop. like you play two balls, and we're screwed. <laughs> telling you. <laughs> we might get you through three holes, but then after that, it's a... yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch out! Yeah. <laughs> it's a lock. It's a lock. Uh, I want to. I want to end with a few, a few lighter questions. Um, I have two personally, but Brian and Drew obviously hop in if you have some. First is, what is a time that you have laughed the hardest on the golf course? I find this question really hard because there are so many small laughs. There's no like one big laugh. Let's just say a lot of small laughs all the time. That's a good answer. That is good. I like that. If you're not laughing on the golf course, like you don't, you shouldn't be right there. there. Why right there. there. No, why yeah. there? I like that. Even if you're like pressing, right? Like, and you're like, <laughs> like laugh. Mm-hmm. It'll, about it'll, it'll loosen something. up the swing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll cackle my way to an eighty-five. I... Totally. Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> All right. My other question is: If Christine, if you could feasibly, not even feasibly, if you could get your hands in the dirt at any existing golf course, which course would that be? If you could work on any golf course, what would it be? Oh, give me Pebble Beach. Let's get dirty. It's yours. Let's get dirty at Pebble Done. Beach. I'll give you a report of the, the lay of the land uh, this winter. I get to go back. Please, please report back. Christine uh, Frazier for Pebble Beach. Yes. Yes. Send me your vector graphics. I'm going to just overlay <laughs> it on the, on the video. I'm going to sneak in a drone. <laughs> We got you. <laughs> We're going to will this into existence. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Christine Fraser coming to America. Yes. yes. Open your damn border. Yes. <laughs> Yo, we'll that there. could be a vibe. <laughs> um, well, anything else, Brad and Drew? Before we let you We, we asked uh, some of our, our uh, final four on the Instagram live, but I, we did. I came into this blind. I didn't rewatch it. Cause I was like, this is a new experience. Fresh. I want to come in. Yeah. It's a different show. It's a different show. Exactly. It's a different experience. Um, we have Connor the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it cannot be understated that Connor is in fact in the studio today. So. In the stew. <laughs> I, I have a piece of uh, a piece of constructive criticism. I think, I, do you know, are you familiar with uh, Patrick Barr, a.k.a. Tiger Hood NYC on no. Instagram? So Patrick is a, he's a street golfer in New York City, and he plays golf in the streets with strangers. Amazing. Uh, and he, is, he is the uh, champion of accessibility for golf. Um, but my piece of, my piece of advice, I guess it's advice, not criticism. It's, we need a, a Christine Frazier, Patrick Barr aka tigerhood nyc collaboration link yes. up it would be the most yes. accessible golf how great experience would that be? ever um 
Yeah, check him out. I can design the holes. He can facilitate the experience. Yes. 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 So and he doesn't use balls, he uses milk cartons. Milk cartons. Stuffed with newspaper. Yep. Wow. It is a it is it is a vibe. Like it's the the vibiest thing. Yes. On Instagram that you'll ever see. Um no, Patrick's must the connect. He's the goat. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know him. We don't know him, but we. we I'm, could, I'm about we to go to NYC. Him. I'm going to try and link up. That would yeah. be. Yeah. When you going? We 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 going to triangulate our positions and yeah. and, and <laughs> meet up with Tiger Hood. <laughs> wow! Well done, Patrick. That sounds incredible. He's he's so dope. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's probably one of the coolest people in New York and in the golf world for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Or just in general. In general. For sure. Christine is up there as well. <laughs> That's why we need that collaboration. Oh, it's going to happen. I'm not even like, <laughs> say less, you know, like it's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. The link up will be televised. That's right. Christine, where can folks find you if they want to see your name? Yes. Reach out to me. Send me an email. Tell me what you're feeling. Um, <laughs> you can email me at director at christinefraserdesign.com or go to my website, christinefraserdesign.com. Where can, where can, learn where can everyone find you on? i tell you that. Are you on, you're on Instagram? Um, you on TikTok, yeah, Twitter, socials, Facebook? socials, <laughs> Instagram, Christine Fraser Design, TikTok, I do not have. I just creep. Anonymously, <laughs> um, Twitter CF Golf Design. There you go. Boom. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank truly, you. Truly, thank you so much. I like feel safe enough to be vulnerable with you guys and share some tears and feel safe and really kind of lean into what you guys are bringing to the table. So thank you. Well, this is not a one and done. As you know, we, we're, we're going to keep you coming back. And the the Christine Frazier versus GGT as a whole is going to be ultimately terrible for us, but really, really fun. Okay. <laughs> Very much looking forward to that. So honored, Absolutely. you guys. We're, we're meeting in Michigan. Let's do it. <laughs> bring your A games. <laughs> All right. You're going to do whatever game I bring. Oh. <laughs> There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health.